many of you, uh, you know, walk in this morning and you say, I need a fresh start? Anybody in any area of your life? Just the two of us. Yeah, it's just you and me. I, I'm, I'm here. My name, hi, my name is Ken, and I need a fresh start. Thank you, Keisha. Thank you, Keisha, right? Like, I mean, I, I would imagine everybody in this room in one area of your life or another, you would say, Ken, if I'm being completely honest, I need a fresh start. I need a fresh start. And he, I'm here to tell you God is the God of new beginnings. He is the God of the fresh start. Come on, y'all. God is the God of the fresh start. And if you need a fresh start, I want you to know that you are in the right place, not because of this church, but because of the presence of Jesus Christ, that he is the God who can birth something brand new in your life. We're going to be looking in Isaiah chapter 43. God gave me really two different passages, and I'll be honest, I've been wrestling with how the, this, this almost feels like two different sermons. And so if you leave this morning and you go, that really was disjointed, I know. I've been telling God about it all week. I haven't figured out how they come together, but, but at some point maybe it, it'll work. But, but the first passage we're going to be looking at is in Isaiah chapter 43, and then we're going to be looking at a passage in the New Testament. But uh, I, want you to I want you to look at this for yourself in your Bible. If you're not used to finding Finding things in your Bible, Isaiah is real easy. Just kind, of, just kind of open to the middle of your Bible, and you'll probably find the book of Psalms, and then just move a little bit to your right. Just start going just a little to your right, and you will find Isaiah before too long. Most of you, I, I see, are using your phones anyhow, so you figured out that alphabetical thing on your Bible app, and you figured out how to get there easy. That's all right. Isaiah chapter 43. As you're turning to Isaiah, let me, let me give you the, the idea here. Isaiah ministered for about 60 years, primarily to the southern kingdom, which was Judah. The northern kingdom was called Israel. Very confusing. It's all Israel, but the northern kingdom is Israel, and the southern kingdom is Judah. Do you got that? Did I confuse you all? And so Isaiah ministered for about 60 years. He ministered uh, during the time of four different kings. He saw some dark stuff. Isaiah, Isaiah ministered during the time of a civil war between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. He ministered during the time of Assyria attacking the northern kingdom and it utterly falling. I mean, to the point where it was no more. Gone. The northern kingdom, poof. No more. He, he saw some really dark things. He went through some things where the people of God were going, where is God? What is going on? How could God allow this? Any of you asked any of those questions recently? Yeah, God, where are you? How could you allow this? God, it seems like it's awful dark. God, I, I, don't, know, I, don't, I, I don't know if I can feel my way around this anymore. And this is a context in which Isaiah is, is prophesying. And he says this, beginning with verse 1. And we're going to jump around in Isaiah 43. Beginning with verse 1, it says, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. And I, I love that intimacy there. Listen to the Lord who, I, I'm the one who put breath in your body. Listen to the Lord who created you. Oh, Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I love that. Don't be afraid. I, I know what you see. I know what's going on around you, but you don't have to be afraid. I know that's a word for somebody in this room. You don't have to be afraid. Fear not, right? 
He says, verse 2, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Listen, I, I love those three image, images that he gives. Deep waters. Maybe you feel like you're in over your head. God promises, I will be with you. Isn't it interesting that one of the last things Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended, he said, surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age, I am with you. you. Do you feel like you're drowning? God says, you're not alone. I haven't left you. I am with you. He says, when you go through rivers of difficulty, and, and I think about it, have you ever been in a river, like a white water rafting, like river? I, I've been in the New River, I don't know how many times we've rafted that a couple years ago. Me and my brother and Kyle and my nephew did the, the New River Gorge when they, when they opened up the dam and, and the waters, I mean, it's like level five rapids, and, and you get out of the boat and you're like, oh Lord, Right? And there's a river god saying, swim to the left, swim to the left, swim to the left. And you're like, why? And he's like, you don't want to see what's to the, to the right. When the rivers of difficulty are coming and the current is pressing against you and it feels so difficult and it feels so hard, he promises, he promises you will not drown. He's your guide. He's yelling at you, if you'll follow me, if you'll follow my voice. You're not going to drown. I got you. The fire of oppression. You feel like you're in a furnace. And to me, I just thought about depression and discouragement. And he promises you will not be burned up. And I love this, how specific he is. The flames will not consume you. It feels hot. It feels, it feels like you're not going to make it through this, but you will not be burned up. God is reminding his people of his presence and his protection. And in fact, if you skip to verse 15, he reminds them of his presence and his protection in the past. He says, I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator and king. Look, listen to this. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all of its chariots and horses, and I drew them beneath the waves, and they drowned, and their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. What's he doing? What's he doing? He's reminding them. Sometimes I need to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. Sometimes the darkness is just so dark, and, and the fog is so foggy, and I just need to be reminded, hey, I am with you, and I have been with you. Remember my faithfulness. But here's the best part of the chapter. Verse 18. I love what Isaiah says. He says, but forget all that. <laughs> he says, I've been faithful, but forget all that. Now, he doesn't mean like literally, like, but he's saying in comparison. Just forget, forget the faithfulness of the past because it is nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. 
So I've been wrestling with this passage this morning, and this morning I get up, and the first text message that I see on my phone is from Frank Pierce, who's out there in the safety team. I haven't even told him about this, and this is the exact passage that he texted me this morning. I was like, come on, Lord. Listen, God's about to do something new. Something new, something different. It's gonna be, it's gonna be in alignment with his word. It's not gonna be out of alignment with his word, but it's gonna be new. It's gonna be different for us. It's gonna be different than what we've experienced. It's gonna be different than maybe the way that we would script things to be. God is about to do something new. And in comparison, he's gonna say, hey, you know what, I've been faithful and, and you need to remember my faithfulness, but in comparison, it's gonna be totally different. Get ready. I hear the Spirit of God saying, buckle up. It's going to be a ride. And sometimes the ride is scary. Sometimes we go, you know, I, I like the familiar. Remember, you know, in Egypt where Israel has been rescued from Egypt and they're going, oh, I, I knew what I was doing there. I didn't like it, but at least it was familiar. At least I knew what was going on. And, and God is saying, buckle up. I'm about to take you for a ride. It's, it's going to be new. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. I was reminded this week of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul is writing to, to believers and he says, Now unto our God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. Or the King James, exceedingly, exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or imagine unto our God who is able to do immeasurably more immeasurably I, I love the word immeasurable immeasurable means you can't measure it right you guys are looking for something really like profound you're like getting out your pencils and then you're like oh that's it like there's no metric there's no scale there's no there's no tape measure long enough Unto our God who is able to do immeasurably more. What have you been praying for? What have you been believing for? I think the Spirit of God is saying, ask for something bigger. Not, not, not for ourselves, okay? Some of you are like, okay, bigger house. No, 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 no. No, this is in the spiritual realm. Ask for something bigger. You, you've, been praying for, you've been praying for one family member to get saved? Ask for something bigger. Ask for something greater. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more, exceedingly, abundantly, above, all that you could ask. We should put him to the test. We should say, God, here's your word. Here's what you say. I'm gonna start asking. I'm gonna start praying bold, audacious prayers. Specific prayers, not these limp-wristed man, you know, just, just you know, no, let's pray big prayers, right? So how does this happen? Okay, we hear God saying he's gonna do a, a new thing. We, 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 we see that he's a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Like, like I, this is really what I felt the Spirit say to me this week. Like, what is our role in this? And our role is, listen, I pray this every morning. God, apart from you, I am nothing. I have nothing. I'm weak. I'm, I'm helpless. I'm powerless. God, I'm I'm absolutely in need of you today right and so our role when you think about the eternal God and you think about all that he's wanting to do like what can my role be I'm a speck on a speck have you seen those pictures of, of the earth 
now and, and, and they, they zoom out and they look and, and our earth is a speck. And I'm a speck on the speck because I can't find myself when I look at the pictures of the earth. I, I'm a speck on the speck and yet, and yet, here's what, some of you are going, wow, this is really discouraging. What God is saying is we do have a role. We do have a role. Like, like for a farmer, I, I see Dan over here, for a farmer, and maybe there's other farmers in this room, like, like farmers understand that so much of, of their, their crops every year, their harvest every year is outside of their control. I mean, it's so much of it is the weather, right? And yet, Dan can't afford this spring and early summer to just sit on his couch and cross his legs just right and hum at a high-pitched frequency and that all of a sudden everything's going to work out for him, right? Like he's got to go out there and he's got to put it, you put in sweat, you put in blood. He puts in a lot of hard work, Becky will attest to it, a lot of long nights, a lot of nights where she's taking him dinner, you know, when he's out on the tractor. doing. He, he's putting in a lot of work. Mark Batterson says it this way, work like it depends on you, pray like it depends on God. What is our role? Our role is I'm going to pray like it depends on God because only God can do it. John chapter 3, spirit gives birth to spirit. So I, I can't, when I'm talking about a great awakening coming, I can't make that thing happen. God is the only one who can make that happen. I pray like it depends on God, but at the same time, I don't just sit on a couch and just wait for it to happen. I work like it depends on me. We see this in the life of Jesus, don't we? He prayed like it depended on his father, because it depended on his father. But he, but he did stuff. He, he would he would get off the couch, and he would walk to Capernaum. And he would listen to the promptings of the Spirit, and he would obey those promptings, and he would reach out to the people that he would meet on the way there. He, he prayed like it depended on his Father, because it absolutely depended on his Father, and he worked like it depended on himself. It's not either or, it's both and. Both are necessary. Jesus prayed and he worked. And, and Paul wrote something that I find extremely challenging, and we're going, this is the second passage of scripture we're going to look at, and this is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I really want you to look this up, and I want you to see that this is actually in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is writing to followers of Jesus in a city called Corinth, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the details of Corinth in a few moments, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, I see Paul in this moment as like a coach in the locker room. Any of you watched the game yesterday? And you say, what game? Well, there was really only one game yesterday. The granddaddy of them all. The Rose Bowl, right? And oh, to be a fly in the locker room during halftime. If you watch the game, you know exactly what I mean, right? Wasn't looking too good for the Buckeyes. They weren't playing their best first half, were they? So imagine, I want you to imagine Paul is a coach, and we are the players, and Paul is climbed up on top of a table, and he's red in the face, and he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he has a word. You ready? Buckle up. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. What's he saying? 
I think he's saying a whole lot here. He's saying you guys need to change your thinking. You, you, guys, think, you guys think that we're that this is just cupcakes and unicorns. You think, you think we're just walking around and this is just some little game. No, th- this, this is bigger than what we understand. Elsewhere, he uses the imagery of war, being a soldier. He says, listen, you're in a war, you're a soldier. This isn't just, we're not just out skipping through the flowers. Like, run, this is a race. Win this thing. I need to change my thinking. Listen, if you've received the grace of God, you are no longer in sin. You're you're no longer in Adam. Adam isn't your father anymore. You're no longer in condemnation. You are in the life of Christ. You are in his grace. You are in his victory. You're no longer in death. You're in his life. You're a son, you're a daughter of the Most High God. Run to win. So many followers of Jesus are, I don't even know if they're running, let alone running to win. Uh, say this, I, 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 here's a phrase I want us to say together. I will run to win. Ooh, you guys were on it. Like, you didn't even wait. Let's say it again. I will run to win. One more time. I will run to win. Now, some of you just saying that out loud, that feels weird. You're like, Come, what is this? Some kind of like self-help thing? Like what, 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 what kind of church did I go to today? Some of you almost feel condemnation in saying that. I will run to win. Listen, you are in Christ. You have his authority. If that's hard for you, if this whole idea of running to win is hard for you, I want you this week, here's your homework, I want you to meditate on Romans 8 this week. Romans 8 is, and I don't have time to get into it, but in Romans 8 we learn that God is for us, that if God is for us, who dare accuse us? We learn in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from God's love. We learn in Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors, but here's the problem, followers of Jesus, we don't act like it. We don't act like it. The enemy has lied to us. He's gotten in our head. He is the accuser because we know from scripture that that's who he is. He's the accuser. And so we've, we've, we've walked right into his trap. I can't do it. I'm not spiritual enough. I don't know enough. I don't, I'm not educated enough in the ways of God. I don't know my Bible good enough. I haven't been saved long enough. Now come on, get, get, get that out of your head. I will run to win. I'm going to run to win. Okay, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 9. So, so he says, don't you know only one person gets the prize? Run to win. Look at what he says next, verse 25. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete. Training it to do what it should, otherwise I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I think Paul's getting into it. I think Paul's like, come on. I like how Eugene Peterson puts verse 26. This is in the paraphrase of the Bible called the message. He says this, I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. I love this. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. 
So, so Paul is writing to followers of Jesus in a city called Corinth. And Corinth, every two years, would have um, an athletic competition where thousands of athletes and visitors would converge on the city of Corinth. In fact, historians tell us that their athletic competition was second only to the one in a city called Olympus. And these athletes would come and they would have all these different races. A lot of them were different types of foot races. And this was a major, major, it was basically a festival that would go on for several weeks. And so Paul most likely had been to these, um, had himself experienced these. Of course, the audience that he's writing to had experienced these. And so he brings a familiar challenge about running and winning. Uh, and, and he uses words in this, in this paragraph that we've just read, words like discipline and focus and perseverance and alertness and even the possibility of disqualification. He's bringing up this athletic imagery to say, wake up up you want to be victorious winning requires discipline winning requires discipline do you know what every single olympic athlete has in common every single one every single olympic athlete has one thing in common discipline discipline in a month the winter olympics are going to begin any, any of you guys into the Winter Olympics? Winter Olympics are like, I don't know. Like, uh, Summer Olympics, I, I like the Summer Olympics. Winter Olympics is like, okay, there's a lot of ice skating, a lot of skiing stuff. I, you know, I've never skied, so I don't really. And, and then there's hockey. <clears throat> Got some hockey. Gene, you're a big hockey fan back there. Yeah. Like, but can you imagine just like flying to Beijing and like knocking on the door and saying, hey, um, Back when I was 10 years old, I went to the ice skating rink in Fremont, and I think I'm pretty good. Sign me up, coach. Put me in. It's not going to happen, right? There are thousands of athletes that at this very moment are on an ice skating rink or in a gym, and they are killing themselves, doing reps, doing all sorts of things, getting their body ready for a competition. In fact, for the Summer Olympics, that if we don't have another major pandemic, we'll hopefully be in two years. There are athletes for a, for a competition that is two years from now that are at this very moment swimming laps or in a gym or running on a, on a what do you run on? Track, thank you. Just seeing if you're awake. Why? Because they understand that winning requires discipline. Winning requires discipline. And so many of us look at spiritual disciplines like serving or fasting or community or Bible reading or prayer or generosity or simplicity and our eyes roll to the back of our heads and we go, oh, do I have to fill in the blank? Man, do I have to do that? But when I realize that winning requires discipline, and I realize that I want to run to win, instead of saying, oh, do I have to do that? You know what I begin to say? I begin to say, oh, I get to do that? I'm a winner. I'm a winner, and winning requires discipline, and so here I go, right? You don't hear Olympic athletes whining about discipline. Do you? 
Have you ever seen an interview with an Olympic athlete where they're whining about discipline? You don't. The winners actually crave it. Have you heard about Tom Brady's like routine? By the way, Tom Brady is a winner. Listen, me and Tom Brady are right around the same exact age, so I want him to just keep playing at the same level. He can just keep playing for the next decade because it makes me feel better about myself. So haters gonna hate, you know, all that kind of stuff. But have you seen the boy's routine? He kicks his butt. And you know what? He puts around himself, even in the off season, he puts people around him who aren't even as good as he is, but he will pay them major money to kick his butt. Why? Because winning requires what? Winning requires discipline. And so Olympic athletes, people at the very zenith of, of, of athletic ability, they will hire coaches to push them beyond the level that they think that they're even able to go. What if we, as followers of Jesus, recognize that spiritually speaking, winning requires discipline? What if we got excited about spiritual disciplines? Oh man, I don't have to pray, I get to pray. Oh man, I don't have to read my Bible today. I get to read the Bible today. I'm going to put God's word in my heart so that I might not sin against him. I'm going to live a pure life so that I can see the righteousness of God. What if instead of having FOMO, you've heard FOMO, fear of missing out, right? What if instead of having FOMO about missing out on what the world has to say, what if our FOMO was, man, I don't want to miss out on the glory of God. I don't want to miss out on, an, on a great awakening, like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do all that God has for me to do. This week as your pastor, I'm challenging every follower of Jesus in this room to engage in discipline. That in 2022, that we're going to be winners. We're going to run to win. Because God's doing something new. I want to be a part of what he's doing. And one of the great disciplines that we can engage in, and I think it's so timely, is the discipline of prayer and fasting. And for hundreds of years, followers of Jesus have engaged in fasting. Fasting used to be something we'd be talked about all the time in church, and it's just in the modern American church age where we've really kind of relegated fasting to something that we don't talk about anymore. It's just kind of like, well, we don't do that religious stuff anymore. We're free. Free to be spiritual slobs but we're going to run to win and winning requires discipline and sometimes we've got to re-engage with the ancient disciplines the disciplines of God's word the pathways of God's word and so I want to call our church to, to uh, not just a week, this, hopefully this week is just the beginning of what God's going to do inside of us, but to an emphasis of a week of saying, God, I give you this first full week of the new year that I'm going after you. I love that word that Amy gave us earlier, that there's a, there's a spiritual a, a growling of our stomachs going, I want more of you, oh God. So what, what is fasting? I've said that, that we're going to have a week of prayer and fasting. What is fasting? Biblical fasting is abstaining from something that my body craves or desires for a spiritual purpose. Biblical fasting is, is saying no to something that my body wants and craves because I want to see eternal results. It is disciplining myself. 
It's saying no to myself for the sake of Christ. Because winning requires discipline. And nobody has to fast. I don't want anybody going out of this here going, well, pastor says I have to fast. So I guess I'm going to fast. Listen, nobody in this room, nobody has to fast. I only want us fasting if we go, man, I get to fast. Because winning requires discipline. And I'm going to run to win. I want the purposes of God more than I want the purposes of man. I want the purposes of God to prevail in my life and in my family and in our church and in this community. I want to see the darkness push back. I want to see breakthrough. I want to see people walk in this room and sense the conviction of God so fully that before a note is sung, before a, a, a message is preached, that people are coming to the altar saying, I need Jesus. I need help in my life. I need a, I need a change. When we, when we talk about revival, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a spirit of conviction and repentance that isn't man-made or manipulated, that is the spirit of God moving sovereignly upon a people, upon a community, upon a nation. When we talk about a great awakening, that's what we're talking about. In the original great awakenings, people of their own accord at one o'clock in the morning would start gathering in churches and looking for a pastor to share with them the gospel. Can you imagine? This is back in like the 1700s. This kind of stuff happened. What if God wants to do it again? What if God wants to do it again? Winning requires discipline. Run to win. And so I, I want to challenge you that this week we would say, Jesus, I want you more than I want fill in the blank. I want you more. And I, I would say that for most of us in this room, fasting is going gonna, is gonna to include food. I know that's not sexy anymore. I know we like to do all these new, well, I don't do a food fast. Food fast is so like, you know, Pentecostal holiness, 1970s. Like I do the new fast of, you know, I, I don't know. You know, for, for most of church history, fasting has involved food. Why? Because we are slaves to food, aren't we? Hi, my name is Ken. I love food. I love food. But I love Jesus more. And I want to run to win. And winning requires discipline. And so a couple questions that I just want to ask you if, you, if you're going, okay, God's stirring me, I want to be a part of this. First of all, I would encourage you as your pastor, don't just go from zero to 70 overnight, okay? So don't just go, okay, I'm going to fast all week. I'm not eating all another thing until next Sunday morning. You better be sure you've heard from God before you do that, okay? <laughs> I would encourage you, fast one day, and then maybe a couple weeks later, fast like three days, and then, you know, kind of work your way into this thing. Unless, I mean, I've heard stories where God, like, spoke to somebody and they knew that they knew that they knew that they were supposed to do a long fast. I would encourage you, almost every person who's ever done a fast, you know, over a day has always made sure to involve lots of water. Okay? If you're going to do something that's going to be long, something you haven't done before that's way outside the ordinary, make sure you talk to a doctor because I don't want you finding the audio of this sermon later on and suing me. Okay, like, 
Those are smart things to do. Talk to some smart people in your life, spiritual people in your life. That, that Talk to some people who, who have fasted. There's people in this room who this is part of their spiritual discipline. Here's what helps for me. Write down what you're going to fast. Write it down. Be specific. Why? Because tomorrow you're going to change your mind. And you're going to say, well, I never really made a, a real commitment about this. You can say, Ken, how do you know that? Because I've done it. I haven't written it down. I haven't been specific. I haven't told somebody what I'm fasting. I haven't even told God, you know, in specific terms what I'm fasting. And so it's easy to get out of it. So I'm going to encourage you, write down what you're going to fast. Write down how, you're, how often you're going to do it, when you're going to do it. Be specific about the fast that you're going to do. Tell somebody that you're going to fast. Now, I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 6, and some of you are going to go, well, no, you shouldn't tell anybody, and I'll tell you why I think you should tell somebody. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you couple things. First of all, this is Jesus talking about fasting and telling us how to fast. So it's something that, that he expects that his followers are going to do, right? Second thing, we don't go around broadcasting. How are you doing, Ken? I'm doing terrible. I'm fasting. <laughs> this shouldn't be your Facebook post. You don't need to start posting, you know, oh, I'm fasting. You don't, th- this is, you, you do it in secret. And you say, well, Ken, you just said a moment ago that I should tell somebody. I would tell somebody who's spiritually mature for the purpose of mutual prayer. Okay? So, so for me, it would be telling my wife. And, and that way we can pray for each other. She needs to know anyhow because it's going to be really weird when she spends a lot of time making dinner. And then I come in and I say, I'm not eating. And she goes, well, thanks a lot, you big fart. You know, like, <laughs> she doesn't call me that. Not all the time. <laughs> That's true. Not to my knowledge. So, so find, find someone who can pray with you during this time. And, 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 and again, it just it, it doesn't need to be broadcast. And then you go on, go on with life. Okay, okay here's, here's the thing that I have found about fasting. For me, and I know this isn't true of others, but I think it's kind of normal. I don't get major breakthroughs when I'm fasting. Okay, I think, I think we should aim high. I think we should have high expectations and believe that God's going to do something. But I think sometimes if you go into fasting and you're like, all right, God, you know, the angels are going to sing over me as I'm sleeping tonight. And, you know, honestly, when I'm fasting, I'm, I usually get cranky and God begins to reveal to me things about myself that I don't like to, to know about myself. And you go, well, now I really want to do this thing, right? But what, what is it? It is, it's me saying, God, I want to die to myself. I want you. Every time that hunger rises up inside of me, I go, God, I want you more than I want food. Usually, I don't see the results of fasting until even several days after the fast. That's just for me. Other people, man, they get visions, and God shows them things, and, and when they read the word of God, it just becomes like technicolor. That's awesome. That's not the way it, it has always worked for me. So I'm, I'm just, does that help at all? I don't, I don't know. Like it might, 
might be helpful. Um, maybe it'd be more helpful if the people who have the visions would come up and they could share about their experiences. Here, here's what we're doing. We're just saying, God, we want you. There's some things that, are, that, that spiritually are not going to happen until God's people begin to fast and pray. So I'm going to close with the story of Jesus. Jesus is up on a mountain of transfiguration where, where God reveals you know, himself to, to Jesus and several of Jesus' closest disciples and, 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 uh, and Moses and Elijah show up and it's this great, huge, powerful event and, and Je- next day Jesus and the disciples are coming down the mountain and they get, they get to the base of the mountain and there are Jesus' disciples and Jesus' disciples are fighting. Don't you hate it when you have this great, glorious spiritual experience and then like reality, like you, okay, well, we're back to reality now, right? And they're fighting, and the fight is over the fact that, that Jesus' disciples have been praying for a, a man and, and for this man's son, and, and nothing's happening, right? And Jesus is like, he actually says, man, you guys have, have little faith. Like, what am I, basically, he says, what am I going to do with you guys? And Jesus prays for, for the man's son, and the son's healed, and and a little bit later, the disciples were like, man, why, why couldn't we do anything about this? And Jesus said, he said, there are some things that just aren't going to happen until you pray and fast. There's just some breakthroughs that are going to require praying and fasting. I believe we're, we're in a place... In, in history, a place in, in our church's history, a place in our community where, can I just tell you, I, I'm, I'm sick of not seeing breakthrough. I'm sick of praying and feeling like, well, that went nowhere. And I feel that like God is saying, start running to win. In other words, stop. Have you, have, you, have you ever had your favorite football team and, and they, they get ahead a little bit and then they start playing that stupid prevent defense? And you're watching the game. Some of you who don't know football, you're like, I hate this sermon. I understand that. Prevent defense is basically saying we're just, we're just playing to try to keep our lead. But inevitably, just, it feels like, especially if you're a Cleveland Browns fan or if you're, you know, you, you, you always see the end coming. You're like, well, we're going to lose this game, right? Like, like what I hear Paul saying is stop playing prevent defense. Like run to win. Run to win. When did you stop playing offense? Jesus, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You, you understand what that means, right? He's saying that the church will be on offense and the defensive mechanisms of hell itself will have no match to the offensive nature of the church. Meaning the church will play offense. Run to win. I'm doing something new. I'm the God who is able to do immeasurably more than what you can ask or imagine. Run to win. But realize this, winning requires discipline. Winning is going to require you doing some things that you don't feel like doing. We're going to have the church open this week. 
And specifically, we're gonna have we're gonna have this worship center with the lights on and music playing. And we have church leaders that have signed up to be here during different shifts. And we're gonna have this room open from 6:30 to 8:30 every morning, and from 6:30 to 8:30 every night during this week. And we're just making this a place where you can just come. And maybe at home you have a hard time. Maybe maybe you got like 20 preschoolers in your home, right, Lauren? <laughs> He's like, I just need a place of quiet. I just need a place to to just be in God's presence. We'll have a church leader here. If you want prayer, you want someone to pray with you, there'll be someone available to be able to pray with you. Otherwise, it's just going to be a place where you can pray. There's going to be a table in the back with a bunch of of different handouts and helps that can um, help you in praying. And and so maybe you go, uh, I just want to give myself to prayer, but I don't want to know what to pray about. We're even going to have some posters on the wall after the funeral. Uh, tomorrow we'll be putting stuff on the walls around. You can walk around and, and pray over different needs and stuff. And, and we're just believing that God's going to do something. And that he's going to honor us taking the first, first fruits, first full week of the year, saying, God, we belong to you. Okay, I've rambled way long enough. God, we need you. Spirit gives birth to spirit. We can do all of this, and apart from your spirit, it is nothing. And so, God, we acknowledge, we're the first to acknowledge that we are 100% in need of you. We are desperate for you. We're desperate for your spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray for every believer in this room. God, I thank you that your word says that they are already recipients of your spirit. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We say yes to you, Spirit of God. Lead us. I pray for every follower of Jesus in this room that you would show them what you have for them this week. God, give us specific, just show us specifically what we should fast, when we should fast, how we should fast. Show us who we should tell when we're going to fast and how we're going to fast. God, we're believing you for breakthrough. Not for us. Not for our name. Not for our fame. But for your name and your renown, O oh Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.